Thank you, Devin. And Devin just celebrated a birthday, and I think he's uh, just turned 80. No, was it eight? No, it was, um, but he has great uh, skill and developed that skill in terms of uh, giving it to the Lord, and we just thank God for uh, his gift of music. Well, today we have a great opportunity just to um, see the, the, uh, the, the byproduct of uh, prayer and planning of the elders, and we've had opportunity to present uh, Bill and his family to the church uh, last night in an informal gathering where people had opportunity to ask some questions, and we've had some literature out about him, and, and we're just really praying God continues to lead as far as next steps, uh, but we wanted to give you the opportunity to hear uh, Bill preach and then respond to him, so it's our great privilege to, to introduce uh, Bill March as he comes and shares the Word of God with us, so give him a warm welcome as he comes. Well, good morning. It's great to see you all out. Have you had a good morning so far? Yeah, well, I hope I can continue that trend then with you. It's great to be with you. Uh, it's, it's fun to, to hear, the, hear the organ. Thanks, Devin, for that. And Allegra, I don't know where, but man, God gave you some serious vocal cords. I love that. Doesn't, isn't that awesome? I love that. And choir, thanks for singing and getting us prepared to worship the Lord through his word. And I just thank you for the privilege of being here today with you here at Grace Hills Church. Uh, I just love how your church looks. Not only by you, but also your surroundings. It's just a neat place to, to walk into and, and to just be a guest at today. So thank you for that. Um, I don't know, is, is my wife still here? She's, yes. So I, I didn't do this in the last service, and I'm not used to doing this, but I should at least, like, I thought, you know, I probably should have said, hey, honey, stand up, because she doesn't, I don't ever do that. But this is my wife, Pam, in the back. Um, she's here. And then uh, I'll just have you guys wave your hands. I have my aunt and uncle here and my uh, father and mother-in-law as well. So, the, uh, yeah, so it's fun to have them here. I had some uh, cousins here as well in the first service. So they all live in Southern California, so it's easy for them to come and hang out with you. And so thank you for having them with you here today. Well, how many of you are planning on going to lunch after the service or having some lunch? Oh, my goodness. Only a few of you are going to eat lunch. Come on. I think all of you would be going out to lunch. And if I had the ability and the time and the opportunity to take you out to lunch and we were to sit down and have a conversation, I would want to ask you this question. It would be this. When have you had the time of your life? When have you had the time of your life? What would you say to that? What would be your answer to that? Maybe you'd think back to your childhood. Oh, I had the time of my life because you have that memory Maybe it was a certain vacation you took, or maybe it was a certain birthday. Uh, maybe it was your college days. I, I don't know. Maybe it was if you served in the, in the Korean or, or Vietnam War or something, you were like, man, that was the time of life there and the challenge that we went through with that. Maybe it's family get-togethers. Maybe you enjoy sports and you have a memory of that. Or, or maybe it's just, you know, Christmas time, the holidays as they come around. Well, as I thought about this, and if we were to have that conversation over lunch... It could be over breakfast or dinner, too, but lunch is next, so I figure we'll just keep it simple, right? If we were to have that conversation, and you shared whatever that was with you, I would think about some of the times of my life. And one of them that I would share with you is our wedding day. And so this was something that came about for me uh, almost uh, 20 years ago with my wife, uh, Pamela. And uh, think about that. And I think about that day in part because of what was happening at that time of my life. I had just finished seminary a week before I got married. My wife-to-be, Pam, graduated 
that afternoon, and we had our rehearsal that night. I figured there's no sense wasting time. We both have our degrees. She's got her teaching credential. I've got my Master of Divinity. Let's bring this on to a fruition and get married. And so two days later, we did, and we got married on June 1st, 1996. One of the things that I think about with that is, is the reception. That's part of the fun of it, right? And at our reception, we had In-N-Out Burger cater our wedding. And so I, we received In-N-Out Burger on a silver platter. Now, most people don't have In-N-Out Burger on a silver platter. And if you go there today, if you ask for that, they'll probably say, you know, we don't have those. Actually, we're out. Okay, you'll need to go to our wedding reception. So the cool part about that was I had so many guys come to me and go, Bill, dude, this is awesome. I've had three cheeseburgers the way I wanted them, you know, and just enjoyed that day. And so we had an amazing time of our life with that moment. So that would be something I'd share with you. And what I'd also want to say to you this morning is I want you to think about the time of your life. To think about uh, the opportunities, those moments that God provides you and gives you and gives to me. I would want you to evaluate the time of your life. I'd like you to dive in a little deeper, those moments and opportunities that God provides with you or to you each day. And so to help us do this, what, to help us think through, to help us evaluate this, we're going to go back to the oldest psalm in all of the 150 psalms. We're going to go to the oldest one today. And then we're going to go to the New Testament and look to see what the New Testament has to say about the time of your life. And through it all, my hope, my prayer, is that you will become greater in your ability to honor Christ with the time of your life. But before we go to those verses, let's pray. Father, we recognize your word spoke creation into existence and Jesus we recognize from your from that that you are the living word and Holy Spirit we ask that you would take this living word and illuminate it for our lives right now into our minds into our hearts Lord into the life that will live outside these walls as we go into this week so we pray that you would be here that you would teach us let me just simply be an instrument a tool for you and these moments we have together. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you have a Bible, I wanted to invite you to turn it to Psalm 90. Maybe you're already there. Psalm 90. This is a prayer by Moses. Psalm 90, a prayer by Moses. If you're there, you're doing good. If you're not, I'll give you a moment there to get to there. A prayer of Moses, Psalm 90. Moses wrote this psalm. He also wrote Psalm 91. You might be thinking, I thought it was David who wrote all the psalms. This guy that's coming in here speaking doesn't know what he's talking about. Actually, Moses wrote Psalm 90 and Psalm 91, so that's why it's the oldest. He's been around a while. He was before David, right? Let's look at this text just for a moment, just read through it, and kind of grasp what this is, and I'll come back and explain what was going on, all right? Because as you read through this, you might go, man, this, what is, what's happening here? Well, 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 we'll come back to that in a moment. So Psalm 90, verse 1, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth earth in the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn men back to dust, saying, return to dust, O sons of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like the day that has just gone by. Or like a watch in the night. You sweep men away in the sleep of death. 
They are like the new grass of the morning. Though the morning, it springs up new by evening and is dried and withered. We are consumed by your anger and are terrified by your indignation. You have set forth your iniquities before you, our iniquities before you, our secret sins and the light of your presence. All of our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our prayers with a moan. The length of our days is 70 years or 80 if we have the strength. Yet their span is but trouble and sorrow. For they quickly pass and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. So teach us to number our days aright. That we may gain a heart of wisdom. So this is a prayer of Moses. We're getting to step into his time of prayer with the Lord and it's recorded here in Psalm 90. In verses 13 to 16 we begin to see a little bit more of this prayer and I kind of for the sake of time wrap it up at verse 17. Jump down to verse 17, the first part of it. He says, may the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. And so in other words in those verses 13 to 16 are basically what those verses are about. That God you would bring about your favor again on us as a nation. This was a prayer that Moses prayed for the nation of Israel. What's going on? If you caught the the, the verses in there, I don't know about you, but that prayer is kind of like, man, there's not necessarily all happy moments where we're feeling great about life if you've read as as we look through these verses, right? So what's going on here? What's happening here? What's, What's the backdrop of this? Well, this was written during the wilderness wanderings. And I put in your notes uh, Numbers 13 to 21 and Numbers 33. If you want to go back there and read that, you'll get, a, you'll get a real good picture of where Moses is coming from and living out as he goes to the Lord and this psalm is recorded. This is his prayer in the midst of that. This was that 40-year period of wandering. Remember, Israel had been in captivity and been in slavery in Egypt for all those years. They come through. They're about to enter the promised land. But then there's some complaining, like, why can't we go back to Egypt to slavery? And and that seems like so much better, right? And all these other silly thoughts that they have. They're afraid to go into the land because it's filled with giants. There's only a couple guys that say, hey, no, we can do this. And so for that, God brings about punishment to the nation of Israel during these 40 years. Here's what here's what's, gets my attention and helps us to understand where, where Moses is coming from as he prays and we get to see his, his prayer. During this 40-year period, 2 million Israelites died. 2 million. 137 Israelites died per day. They were busy digging lots and lots and lots of graves. Two million. And you're thinking, well, that, I can't grasp really two million. Well, I, let me just see if I can help you just for a second. <clears throat> we jump on the five freeway and we go on up to L.A. And there we are in downtown L.A. There's 4 point, uh, or 3.9 million people that live in the city of Los Angeles. 3.9 million. So close to 4 million people. That's a lot of people. So imagine over the course of 40 years, half of the city of L.A.'s residents die. So that's the perspective here that Moses, as he writes this, is coming from. And he's seeing God's wrath carried out 
and punishment carried out because of their lack of faith to trust God and follow what he's telling them to do. So that's the backdrop for what Moses comes and writes this song. And as we read through this, you might have picked up, he makes some declarations. Let me share with five of them with you. The first one is that God is eternal. God is eternal. God is not governed or confined by time. Look back at verses 1 and 2. Lord, you have been our joint place through all generations. He's been their refuge. He's been their security. He's been their home. For how long? Throughout all generations. Because God's eternal. Verse 2. Before the mountains were born, you brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting to everlasting to everlasting to everlasting to everlasting. You are what? You are God. You are eternal. God is eternal. God is never early, is what that means. Sometimes you're early to something. That's good, right? Usually. God is never late to something. You're all on time. Good job this morning. God's never late. God's never in a, oh my goodness, we need to hurry up. That's not God. He's eternal. He's not governed or limited by time. He never loses track of time like I do from time to time, right? There's no other God like Israel's God. So that's what Moses is making as the first declaration. I like to think of it for this, in my mind, it's like there's no comparison. Uh, There's no comparison. There's no equal to dark chocolate, okay? For me, when I think about dark chocolate, I went to a dessert reception last night. There was chocolate there for dessert. I went to a meeting on Thursday night with the elders and their wives at the home of Ted and and Betsy's house. There was chocolate. There's no equal to chocolate, friends. When it comes to dessert, it's like chocolate, right? And I'm allergic to it. I sneeze when I eat chocolate. But there's no comparison. There's no equal to chocolate. God is eternal. There's no comparison, all right? There's no comparison. By contrast... Verse 2, or verse 3 and 6, the point, second point declaration that Moses makes is that man is mortal. Man is governed and very limited by the amount of time he has. Look back, verses 3 to 6. You turn men back to dust, saying, return to dust, O sons of men. This is a reference back to uh, Genesis 2-7, where, 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 where we're told where God made man out of what? out of dust, and breathe life into him. So man is mortal. And he talks about this, these, um, this time frame, a thousand years in your sight is like a day that's gone by. Again, you're not governed by time, but we are. We're mortal. You sweep men away in the sleep of death. Think about it. Two million Jews, 40-year period, 137 a day. He's got a perspective on that, doesn't he? From what he might have had otherwise had they been obedient and gone into the promised land. So Moses compares and illustrates the great concentration between God, who is eternal, and man who is mortal. It's like black and white, night and day, complete difference. So he's making that as a declaration. The third declaration is that God's judgment for sin limits the time for mankind to enjoy life. Do you know that God wants you to enjoy life? There's many other things that we could talk about, but that's certainly something he wants you to be filled with joy. The book of Philippians talks about that as a theme. Look at verses 7 to 10. We are consumed by your anger. Wow, that's a great place to be before God isn't. He's consumed with what? Anger towards us. Constantly, nonstop. He says that we're terrified of your indignation. We're terrified of your righteous anger. We're terrified that we offended you. 
as a holy God. And so that's what he's wrestling with. You've set our iniquities before. We can't hide our sin. It's plain to see. And everybody else that's going around, why are all your people dying? Because of our sin. We don't get to enjoy life as we were promised that we would get to have. And some of us had the idea, like, oh, it'd be better to go back and be under Pharaoh. No. And so here's their judgment bringing about. So sin limits the time for us to enjoy life. They had a promising life ahead of them, did they not? It's the promised land. <laughs> the land filled with, filled with milk and honey, flowing, as it were. And so here they are, this current generation is dying out. I thought of it like, you know, that sports team that you like and they never win a game. You're like, man, are we ever going to get there? Or, or the test that you just can't ever seem to pass. Uh, for me as a surfer, it's like going to the beach and like, there's no waves again. For those of you who play golf, you're not even getting the ball on the green, okay? It's just, it's never going to happen. It's limiting the joy that you were intended to have. That's what's happening here. That's this third declaration. The fourth declaration is that we must revere the Lord. Look at verse 11. We must revere the Lord. Who knows the power of your anger, he writes in verse 11. For your wrath is as great as the fear that is what? That is due you, God. Let there be no mistake. We need to have a reverence for the Lord. And that's what he's saying here. To revere the Lord means to feel a deep respect um, just a humility before a holy God. That's what he's saying is do the Lord. This deep admiration. And when you do that, the idea here is that then you will be able to enjoy life more. Your days will be had with more joy in them. The fifth declaration he makes in his prayer is found in verse, verse 12. And it's this. We must learn to number our days. Learn to number our days. Learn to count. That's something you did a long time ago, right? You learned. Learning to count. To redeem the time that you have. Look at verse 12. Teach us to what? Number our days aright. Why? That we may gain a heart of wisdom. At the core of who we are, we are wise with our days. Consider this. All these people are dying. All the punishment for sin. Man, it's a digging. You know, I think it would be wise if we considered our days that we have, right? A lot of time to think on that, that we would redeem the time. When you learn to number your days, you'll be a lot wiser with the moments and opportunities that God gives you. And so, therefore, it would be wise for us to know our life expectancy, wouldn't it? If we were going to number our days, well, how many days do you think I might have? Well, go back to verse 10. Moses says, the length of our days is what? 70 years. Raise your hand if you're 70. No, I'm just kidding. Okay? Or 80. Okay, raise your hand. No. Uh, if 70 years. So let's just take it in the middle. 75 years. That's a pretty good run. Some of you have passed that. 75 years. Teach us to number our days, verse 12. How many days do we like? Maybe 75 years. So if we were to actually take Scripture literally, which is the best hermeneutic, systematic way to approach and study and learn God's Word, is to take it literally first. Well, let's do that. Let's literally take how many days would it actually be if I lived 75 years? 27,393 days. 
That includes 18 leap year days, by the way, just in case you wanted to make it. Did you consider the leap? Yes, I did. 18 of them in the course of 75 years. 27,393 days. If you're beyond 75 years, you've passed 27,393 days. Again, teach us the number of days. Help us to gain a heart of wisdom. How many years? Probably 75. If we're, if we're fortunate enough, we have the strength to do that. So I thought, you know what? Maybe I should do that. I'll add up my days, leap, years in, leap year days included. So as of today, uh, May 22nd, 2016, I have been on this planet 17,353 days. Hello, <laughs> right? 17,353 days. If I, by God's grace, am allowed to live till I'm 75, I have 10,040 days left. I live way more of my life than I have yet to live, right? Most of my life has been already accomplished. I don't have a whole lot left. I would want to know then, if I only have so many days left, what do I do with those days? Maybe you're in that retirement age, right? It doesn't mean to stop living. It doesn't mean like, well, the best days are not at all. You have as great of opportunity as anybody else. It's what you do with those, with your time that you have. And so if we're assessing this time, there's a big takeaway from Moses and Psalm 90. And as I said earlier, I think it's important that we think about, that we evaluate, that we assess the time of our life, the time that we have. That we do that, to think that through. It's a good exercise to do. So let me take you for a moment back a little bit of how I've done this. So I originally grew up in the Pacific Northwest. I was, my dad was an electrical engineer. Um, my mom was a stay-at-home mom, and she was on the piano every Sunday morning. And when she finished, her lap was my pillow. How we had, I slept through a fire and brimstone preaching kind of pastor. I have no idea, but I did. And thank you for not being asleep so far today, at least that I look out, right? As I think about that, there I am growing up there in Pacific Northwest. Well, I've been in Southern California for 33 years. And if you and I were having a conversation, well, what brought you to Southern California? Even more specifically, what actually brought you here today? The 17,353rd day of your life, why are you actually here? I'll tell you why I'm here. It's because the days of my parents' lives were shortened. The days of my parents' lives were shortened. That's what brought me here. I lost both my parents to cancer as a kid. My mom when I was in third grade, my dad when I was in eighth grade. So I went back through because Scripture says, teach us to number our days. It's wise to think about that. They didn't make it to 75 years. Specifically about them, my mom lived 18,098 days, 49 years, 6 months, 19 days. My dad did a little better. He lived 19,444 days, 53 years, 2 months, 25 days. Again, looking at Scripture literally, just taking a moment and thinking about how many days is it to live 75 years? How many days have I been alive? You can go do this yourself. And then to think about, well, how much time do I have left? And to evaluate and to think about that time. You know, James 4.14 says, Your life is a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. It's temporary. It's gone before you know it. 
Moses is understanding this from the journey that he's on when he writes his prayer and he shares that with us. So Psalms 90, for me, the takeaway is, man, it gives me a new perspective. It, it helps me gain a different perspective, a different thinking, a different evaluation when I look at the time that we have or that I have to live. As I said earlier, my hope and prayer is that you will honor Christ more by the redeeming the time that you have. So with Psalm 90 that we've looked at um, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, there are two kinds of time. There are two kinds of time mentioned in the New Testament, two Greek words. The first one is what we call chronos time. Chronos time. Chronos time is what we call clock time. It's chronological. Uh, most of you probably have a watch on. Chronos, chronological. We have clock time that we're going on. So I mentioned that earlier, I put the slide up there. You saw that I, was gonna, I told you I'd be married. So in 10 days, I will have been married for 7,000 305 days. Yes! 7,305 days. I invite you to go down, men, and go evaluate how many days, and you say to your wife, I've been married to you this many days, right? And they're like, wow, honey, that's good work. That's good to think about. It's impressive. It's good. Well, it's scriptural. All right. So let me give you some examples, two examples, two scriptural examples of these. From John 7:33, Jesus said, I am with you for only a short time. And then I go to the one who sent me. He's talking there about chronos time. It's the Greek word used in that. He's talking about clock time. In Acts 1, 6 and 7, he says, So when they met together, these are the disciples, they asked the Lord, at this time, going to restore the kingdom of Israel. And Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know the times and the dates the Father has set by his own authority. They want to know, is this the clock time? Is this the calendar? Is this this moment? Is this the chronos moment we've been all waiting for? It's prophesied, and now it's coming to, to be. Is this that time? And he goes, no, it's not. In fact, it's not for you to know that time when that's going to happen. So when you hear somebody, some person who seems really smart and says, hey, we've predicted the time and the date when Jesus returns, you're like, no, he's not. He said chronos time. You won't know it. So we need to understand just really from Scripture what he says and what's right. So Jesus, when you think about it, how, long, how many days was he in the grave? Three. You said that very quietly as though you were sure if you should actually answer out loud. How many days was he in the grave? Three. Three. Thank you. Um, Allegra got you warmed up. All right. Jesus, after his resurrection, was long for, around for how many days? Forty. Forty days. Chronos time, right? So we have that. Let's move on to the second time that's used in the New Testament, and that's called kairos time. Kairos time. Kairos time is the right time. It's the opportune time. It's not a concern with the clock or the calendar or appointments. This is concerned about the right time. This is the opportunity is that idea of what this time is. And being with you here today for me is this is an opportunity for me. This is the right time in my journey with the Lord. Let me give you two examples from Scripture where kairos time is used. These will begin to make a little bit more sense to you. Romans 5, 6 says this. You see, at just the right time, kairos time, when the opportunity was right, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Another example is from Galatians 6, 10. Therefore... 
as we have opportunity, as we have that opportunity at the right time, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. You know, I wish that Paul would have put that down as, when you come to Saturdays, then do good to all people. Oh, wait, no, sorry, Sunday, that's better, because those are especially those people who belong to the family of believers. That's the only day you need to worry about that. Wouldn't that have been a little bit more convenient? It's like, hey, I'm sorry I was mean to you, but it is not Sunday. So it's kairos, because it doesn't matter what the time is or whatever, what day it is or what year it is or what month it is. It matters that it's right now. This is the opportunity. So when we stop and assess our chronos time and our kairos time, what do we see? If we were going to drive down the freeway and pull off to a view spot and kind of just take a glimpse, and we were to evaluate and look at our lives, what would we see in our lives? We would see, for the most part, that we are consumed and governed and focused on and driven by chronos time. We are driven by clock time. We have a certain time that we have to get up. We have a certain time we have to get to work. We have a certain time that we'd like to eat. We have a certain time we need to get home. We have a certain time to see the doctor. We have a certain time to pick up the kids. Da, 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 and on it goes. It's clock time, clock time, clock time all the time. We set alarms by it. We set appointments by it. We have a service time that we start at 11 a.m., right? We pick a time. We're consumed with that. And if we were to step back again, taking that view of our life, we go, man, I am driven by clock time all the time. So let me ask this key question. What kind of time was Jesus focused on during his earthly ministry? What kind of time was Jesus focused on during his earthly ministry? Was it Kronos time or was it Kairos time? Now, I asked this in the first service, and they were so smart. I'm going to see how smart you are. No pressure, right? So what do you think? Kronos time or Kairos time that Jesus was focused on? What do you think? Man, you have a smart congregation. I love it. You are right. It is Kairos time, the right time, the opportune time. We see this in the evidence by how many years was Jesus on this planet? 33 years. And out of that, how many years was he focused in ministry? Only three. Because that's all the opportunity he needed to complete what was his father's mission for us. So Kairos time. You think about it, it's choosing his disciples. He comes up to Peter. He's been fishing all night. That really doesn't matter, but that's just the Kronos time if you want to know it. And he sees Peter and he comes up and he says, hey, have you caught any fish? And I can imagine Peter going, what, what is this guy, this teacher? What, he doesn't know what he's, no, we haven't caught any fish. I've been on here all night. What kind of a question is that? And Jesus knows that. And he says, Take your nets and put them on the other side. Okay, we've done that. We've done that for clock time for hours. Why do this again? Just, just do it. And what was the opportunity that they had there next? A boatload of fish. It was the opportunity. And then what does Jesus say to, to Peter after that? Come be what? Fishers of men. Exactly. That was the opportunity. It was the perfect right time to bring that to Peter. In your life groups this week, if you attend those, I encourage you to do so. In your notes, you'll see that you're going to get to explore this a little bit more, the Kairos time, and how those moments, those opportunities, altered the lives of those individuals. Which brings us to a key truth. Like Christ, we need to be focused and driven by Kairos time. 
opportunity time, the right time. We need to redeem the time that we have. To be Christ-like in our Christian walk, we must walk in the right path, the Kairos path, to focus on that. Yes, we're going to have schedules. Yes, we have a clock. But what we need to focus on, like Jesus did, is the opportunities that God provides us every day so that we can have the time of our life. Which raises this question, how can I redeem the time that I have? No matter how many days you have left, be wise for you to count what you've had, now to think about what you do yet, what you have yet to live. And by the way, if you're past 75, I call it gravy time, right? God has granted you more time, more opportunities to glorify him. Wow, that's awesome. My parents didn't get that. Their time was very limited. And so if you're beyond 75 years, you have an amazing opportunity to glorify God by redeeming the time. What does that mean? Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, three verses I just want to touch on as we head home today. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. In chapter 4, as you, maybe you're already there, you'll see above verse, uh, uh, was it, verse 17, you'll see that the translators have put in there, living as children of light. This is kind of give us perspective. So this is about living the Christian life, okay? So he's been talking about this. Paul's been talking about this. And we come to verse 15. It's kind of summarized. It's kind of the focus. We're about to hit the opportunity to capture what he's been after. Here it is. Look at verse 15, 16, and 17. He says this, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Focusing once again on our Kairos moment, the opportunities, the right time that God provides. So Paul instructs us to redeem the, the Kairos time, to pay attention and seize these opportunities that God provides. He gives us four ways. Four ways. I just want to highlight these. The first one is to be clear in what redeeming the time is not. Be clear at what redeeming the time is not. It is not cramming more tasks into less time. That's not what this is about. It's not what he's teaching us. Secondly, it is not saying yes to every opportunity. It is not saying yes to every opportunity. Paul is not saying to jump through every window of opportunity that comes your way. It is not increasing the speed of your life. Paul is not saying, hey, hurry up, get going. He's not saying that. And he is not accounting for every moment with a worthwhile task. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying here leads us into the next three ways to redeem the time. The second way is to be wise with your choices. Be wise with your choices. Look at verse 15. Be very careful then how you live, not as what? Unwise. Be wise with your choices. Is to take a moment and look and go, what choices do I have today? I want to be wise with those. The third way that Paul provides us how to redeem time, be opportunistic with your days. Be opportunistic with your days. Look at verse 16. Making the most of every opportunity. Be opportunistic because the days are evil. That's the third way. And the fourth way 
is to be conscious of God's will. Be conscious of God's will. Look at verse 17. Therefore, do not be, be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. To be conscious, God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to live? So let me give you two a final challenge. The final challenge is this. We must not only recognize Kairos opportunities. We must not only rock in it, recognize Kairos opportunities, but have the courage to seize them. Have the courage to seize them. Let me put it to a story format. For a number of years ago, I was out in my front yard, and I was doing some yard work. And, and I wasn't paying attention to what was going on above me. And the weirdest sound for a split second happened. It was quiet, and I heard this, woof, 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 and I thought, man, what was that? And then, ever so slightly, I felt my hair move. It was a little longer that day. And I looked up, and I'm like, what was that? And it was a hawk flying right over my head. Do you know what I noticed about that, that, that hawk? He didn't have a watch on his foot. And you know what he, so he didn't, and you know what I also noticed? He didn't stop and say, hey, Bill, what time is it? Why? That hawk could care less about what time it was. What he cared about was finding the next meal, right? That hawk was flying such a way to be opportunistic. Kairos time. Where is it? Where's the opportunity? You know what? That's Christ, isn't it? The opportunity is there. To be like Christ, to honor Christ, to be more like him, to being to be driven by Kairos time. And if you do that, I promise you, You'll have the time of your life. Lord, we stop and we thank you for this day that you've given us to be in your word and to reflect on the time of our life that you've given to us, God. And Lord, I pray and ask that you would bless us and help us to understand that and recognize that and seize the moments to have the courage to step out in faith and seize those moments, those opportunities you give us with our family, with our grandchildren. Lord, we're sharing Christ with others near us. Oh God, until you return, may we be found faithful, seizing the time of our life. In Jesus' name, amen.